0: Our second Bible reading came from the book of James chapter 5 and starting from verse 13. Uh, it can be found on the Bible on page 1269 or you can follow along on the screen. James chapter 5, the prayer of faith. Is one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any, one of you sick? He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and and the heavens gave him rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from the death and cover over a multitude of sins. Amen.
1: Thank you, sister. Good morning, church. How are you all? Wonderful. Uh, I realized uh, during our meet and greet or turn and greet uh, this morning that some of you um, don't know where I'm going next year. And so I thought I'd briefly share. Um, also, my name is Bryce. For those who are visiting, I'm a student minister here. And sadly, this is my second last service with the church. And uh, I'm moving on. I'll be sent to Point Cook Presbyterian Church next year to do two years of pastoral placement. And uh, it's it's with sadness I'm leaving. This has been one of my favorite churches to be part of. So I'm genuinely disappointed that I have to leave, but I'm also looking forward to how I can serve uh, and learn in Point Cook. But I've got a question for you this morning. And the question is this. What do we need to get through life? Like, what is it we need... To make it through every up and every down that we go through now I think I figured you guys out you're all thinking what I'm thinking and that is coffee coffee and why wouldn't you we've got the best coffee in the world in this town coffee's great it looks good it smells good it tastes good it gives you a boost it even helps you stay regular what more could you want for four bucks but maybe some of you are thinking i hear your coffee and i raise it with chocolate chocolate a woman's best friend looks good it smells good it gives you a boost it gives you antioxidants whatever they are and it tastes great unless you eat 90 percent, which tastes more like dirt but you get the point but some of us are, are thinking more deeply about this and we actually say friendship friendship is the thing We need to get through life. Because after all, friends can make you laugh. Friends can hear you out. Friends can cheer you up. Friends are great. But, But for some of us, people are hard work. And dogs are far better. Dogs are loyal. They never judge. They're good for cuddles. They're always happy to see us. They listen to us. When we want to pour out our soul, what more could we want? Or maybe, maybe for others, it's the spouse. A spouse can know you better than anyone else and yet still choose to love you. If the whole world lets you down, your spouse will still be there for you. We all have things, don't we, that we think that can get us through life. I know a woman a few years back who found out she had cancer. And in the space of a few days, her whole world went like this. Just think for a moment—if that was you, who would you naturally turn to in that situation? Would it be your spouse? She had no spouse. Would it be your parents? Her mum found out and practically went into denial that she was sick. Would it be your adult kids? Her her only child was on the other side of the state. Would it would it be your siblings? Her brother stopped speaking to her, and her sister lived interstate. What would you or who would you turn to when things get that bad? The book of James is written to a people who were struggling. They were second class citizens dispersed through multiple towns and cities, Christian people, and they weren't happy. They were envious. They were jealous, they were fighting, they were angry, and in some cases, they were sick. And James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this letter to teach them what they need to get through life. And he saved it for the final section in the final chapter. And James says to them and to us that we need two things, just two things in this life we need God. And we need the church. We need God in the church. We need God in the good times and in the bad. Look at how James shows that in verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Pray to God and praise God. Do you you notice what he's not saying? When we're in trouble, he's not saying get a coffee and eat chocolate. He's not saying, go straight to friends and go to family. No, during times of trouble, we go to God and we pray. That means we go to God first. But when times are good, the first thing we do is praise. Do you notice that it's not to get proud? It's not to, to become more independent or to spend more money in confidence. It's to praise God for his kindness See, in going to God first, we're actually acknowledging that we need God. We're saying with our actions that the God we worship is in control and we're not. And that's, what, that's really what James wants us to leave with today. We need God because he's in control and we are not. We need God in the good times and the bad but we also need him when we're physically sick look at verse 14 is anyone sick is anyone among you sick let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the lord james says if we're really unwell we go to the leaders of the church for prayer and what do they do they pray over us and anoint us with oil so what's that all about Anointing can be two things. Most of the time, most of the time it refers to uh, being set apart to become a religious leader. But in the New Testament, we see the sick being anointed too. And it's a lot like baptism, being sprinkled or dunked in water. It's a, it's a concrete like symbol or act of an inward reality. But you notice... The healing that happens, it's not a result of the oil. There's nothing special or miraculous about the oil. So what is it that actually heals? Well, look at it back in verse 15 with me. The prayer of faith. Now, this is controversial. This is the sort of thing that makes or breaks people's faith. It's the sort of thing that can make people sceptical about Jesus and Christianity. You see, James makes two big promises. Promise number one, the prayer of faith will make the sick person well. Promise number two, if we commit sins, they will be forgiven. Now check, check, check out the first one there in verse 15 again. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. That's a big promise. It's a big promise, and it sounds a lot like a dodgy healing show at 3 a.m. on Channel 10. I remember a few years back hearing a story about a prosperity preacher, a guy who talks about health and wealth and wisdom that you get if you pray to God and give money. Very sadly, this guy's wife got sick with cancer, and he insisted that if she had enough faith... Her prayers for healing would be answered and she would be healed. And the sad thing is, she passed away. But the even sadder thing is that he rebuked her for not having enough faith. Imagine that. How terrible is that? But you know what? If, if we're to believe that this verse is some sort of magical formula, right? Right? That's kind of understandable. If I do X, if I pray to God and have enough trust and faith, then I get Y. I get healed. That's how it's meant to work, isn't it? And, and, and you take God at his word. And there's something good about that. And the good is that we're, we're wanting to trust God. But the bad is that that's not what this verse is saying. It doesn't mean prosperity, healing. It doesn't mean that Jesus is a genie. It doesn't mean that all cancers or illnesses will be healed if we pray for them in faith. And it doesn't mean that God only heals Christians either. It does mean that the prayer of the faithful will heal if it is God's plan. But that's the key, friends. Our plan for life and God's plan for life, sometimes they do this in a line and sometimes they do not. Sometimes it is God's plan for us to be healed from sickness, and sometimes it's not. And it's really clear as to why that is, especially in the moment. I know uh, two young adults uh, who became Christians at a funeral, at a funeral of a friend of theirs who passed away in a car accident a few years back. God uses sickness and death in ways we can't even imagine do you know, the Apostle Paul, he prayed, he practically begged God to take away the thorn in his side, which we think was an eye problem. And God's answer was no. No, my grace is sufficient. Jesus prayed at the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, would you, you let this, this, this uh, cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And it turned out that the father said, no, you have to drink. His plan for Jesus' life was to go to the cross and to die on that thing for the sins of the world. The vital lesson that we really need to understand is that God wants us to pray with complete trust that he can heal us. But sometimes it's his plan for us to go through that struggle with him rather than to go around it. The second promise here is just as confusing, as perplexing as the first. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. See, in the ancient world, sickness was thought to come from sin. If you, if you rejected God's and sins and then you got sick, your first guess every time was punishment. God is punishing me. And so if you got healed... It was because your sins were forgiven first. See, God does the forgiving and God does the, the healing. But then it raises the question for us here this morning, right now. If I'm sick, is it because I've sinned? Is God punishing me? And the answer is, honestly, we don't know. Maybe. But perhaps it's more likely that we are just experiencing The result of living in broken bodies, in a broken world, waiting for the great repairer to return and bring restoration to this place and to us. We need God when we're physically sick, but we also need God when we're spiritually sick. Check out verse 16 again. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other, so that you may be healed. We need the God who works through His people, the God who answers prayers in line with His plans. The prayers of the faithful are, are powerful, they, they can heal and sins can be forgiven, and therefore, therefore, we should confess to one another. That is, if we've wronged each other, we need to confess. You know, two friends of mine got married a number of years ago. Uh, And they're very different. The guy, he's really quiet. He's really smart and intellectual. Uh, He's he's, uh, non-emotional and he's very uh, even-keeled, non-confrontational. His wife, complete opposite. She is loud, she's passionate, and she wants to confront and deal with problems. Now, sometimes he upsets his wife. Nothing unusual there. And when she fires up, she shuts down. And the friction and the tension grows and grows and grows. Now, what's the problem here? It's the bitterness that weighs the heart, isn't it? It's avoidance of reconciliation. It's, it's, and it leads to walking on eggshells. What would solve that? It's confessing sins to each other, isn't it? It's confessing that, that heals the spiritual hurts as well. But sometimes... These spiritual hurts can actually manifest physically. They can cause us anxiety. And so the fruit of this confession might actually result in us regaining sleep, finding peace. And this is what my friends do. But here's the interesting thing. Look at verse 16 again. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. If someone is righteous, then their prayers are powerful and effective and the question is who are the righteous who are they and the simple answer is everyone that is in christ that is the christian and that's because people who have faith in jesus have his perfect track record of good his good works it's like they've been given his white robe, to cover their dirty one. And so when the Father looks upon his people, that's you, he doesn't see their dirty brown robes covered in sin, covered in a million different ways in which we reject him. He sees the brilliant, white, radiant robes of Christ. And even as we as Christians wrestle with sin, God only ever sees that white robe that is how someone can be righteous, and that is how a person's prayers can become powerful and effective. We need God in every situation, and we express that in prayer and you know what? the great thing is that you guys are people of prayer, like every Sunday people are gathering here at four p m to pray for this church and for those in our community, in the world. And there's a real culture of prayer in our growth groups. Just last week, um, my growth group ran a bit late and I said to the group, you know what, how about we pray for 10 minutes so that you guys can still get home in a good hour? And they said, "No, no, no, let's pray longer. That is just evidence of the heart desire to want to pray to God. And it's great. It's encouraging, but it's also encouraging because God works through people like you and me. Look at it in verse 17. Elijah was a human being. Even as we are, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. It's those first nine words... That should be like music to our ears. Elijah was a human like us. Like here's James' point. Even the regular, broken, inconsistent, regular Joes and Janes of this world, they can pray like this man and see big things happen. Big, grand, bold prayers answered in the affirmative. God doesn't just choose to hear the prayers of Mother Teresa or of John Piper. He chooses to hear the prayers of you and me. Don't you think that's amazing? As broken and as inconsistent as we are, our prayers are heard. They're powerful and effective. Surely that's got to be encouraging when we are praying for the sick. Surely that is a comfort when we are the sick and God's people are praying for us. And look at the size of the magnitude of the prayer this man prayed and the one that god answered look at it again he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it didn't for three and a half years and again he asked god to let the the rain come the heavens gave rain the earth produced crops god hears the prayer of a righteous man and god says yes Here's the take home god's in control god wants us to pray and god will answer according to his will friends we need god that is the first point but we need something else we need the church and that's point two and we need the church to bring us back look at verse 19 my brothers and sisters if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back remember this remember this whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins He's addressing the family and he's saying family wander from the truth and family need to have each other's backs. I used to be a teacher. My students were good at wandering a lot, wandering away. I was entrusted with their care and I needed to be diligent. So whether I was at camps or or swimming uh, uh, lessons or excursions, I'd always be asking, where's Harry? Where's Sam? You know, Where's Anna? Counting the excursion line, how many kids are there? Parents are smiling because you know that feeling. You've always got an eye on your kids. And James is saying we need to have eyes on each other. When we see a friend who stops coming to church, stops reading their Bible, who stops caring about Jesus, we need to encourage them back. And it's not because we're a cult. They can leave here if they want. They can go to a different church if they want. But we try our best to show them why Jesus is far better than whatever has captured their heart. And the encouraging thing for me is that I see you do this. There is a culture of of follow-up in this church that is awesome. People can't slip through the cracks here without someone noticing. And so you should be encouraged about that. We need the church to bring us back, but we also need the church to save our souls. Check out verse 20. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Like That's the outcome of bringing them back. But, but it's good to be clear. We can't convert people. We can't save them from spiritual death and we can't cover people's sins. Jesus does those things, and we know that. But what it's saying is we have to care, and we have to fight as if we actually can do those things. We we need to have that urgency and love that Christ has for us. You know, as I've been meditating on this, this sermon over the last few weeks, it's made me think of two people. Two people, one who had God in the church... The other that had neither. The first one is a guy called Phil. Phil was the younger brother of a uni friend of mine. He must have been about 15 when I met him. And this guy was a sick kid growing up. So bad he had to uh, have a a, a limb amputated uh, because of his illness, cancer. And he came good for a few years, but sadly the cancer returned. Imagine being a teenager, having to deal with that. Now Phil grew up in a Christian home, and you can imagine the questions like, "Why me? Why me, God? Like, what have I done? Like, I I love you. I, I follow you. Why, why, why me?" But what blew my mind was that he really believed that all he needed was God and the church. He was content, and he just trusted God with whatever the outcome would be. I never heard him complain, and I'm convinced it's because in his heart of hearts he really believed this passage in James 5. And now he is with the Lord, and I can't wait to see him in heaven. But what would it look like for a person who doesn't have God or the church? I know another guy, or I did. His name was Barry. Sadly, life didn't go the way Barry had probably hoped. Barry uh, was married, and then his marriage didn't work out. He had one child. He got to about maybe the age of 60, and then he found out he had cancer. And he wrestled with it for about two years, and sadly, uh, he passed on. But the sadder part is that as far as I know, he didn't have God or the church in his life. Now, maybe in, in his final hours, he did come to faith. We won't know until, until Christ returns or we go to heaven. But if he didn't, in verse 20, is not his outcome. There was no one to encourage him to come back to church, come back to God. Two stories of two men. One who had God in the church. The other who had neither. Now, of course, We don't always face things this heavy and this big in our lives, but we all go through hard times and illness. And when we go through them, do we want to do it with God and the church? Or do we want to go alone? Do we want to do it with humility, um, praying to the God who cares? Or do we want to assume that we can cope cope on our own? But I think this is something we already know, isn't it? We just need to do it, to be hearers and doers. But this can be hard. It's hard to live consistently as people who believe they need God and they need the church. But it's good to remember that there is one who went before us who did. He knew he needed God and he lived a perfect life of humility before the Father. He he knew he needed the family of God. He never departed it. He never wanted from the truth. And that person is Jesus. The one who lived this way so that we could be forgiven when we don't. And so as we go out this week, be motivated by the one who went before us to live as those who believe that we need God and we need the church. Let's pray in response to God's word.